0: Welcome to the Learning Reinvented podcast, brought to you by myself, James Politello and the team from The Learning Effect. There are lots of learning podcasts out there, so we wanted to do something slightly different. This week, we're exploring what makes people learn. And I'm delighted to welcome Hannah Young to the podcast. Thank you for joining us, Hannah. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah. Hi, James. Um, Thanks for inviting me on. Um, I'm delighted to speak to you today about learning, development, education. It's it's what I do every day. I've been a teacher now for 19 years. um, And now I'm in the the training space, uh, training teachers and how to develop their uh, teaching and learning uh, skills, specifically with a focus on the science of learning. So it's all very well having lots and lots of subject knowledge. And we expect our teachers and trainers to have that. But it's how do you actually... Future proof your students by teaching them creative problem solving skills, critical thinking, communication and collaboration. So in a nutshell, that's that's what I do.
0: I think that's really interesting because, again, you know, we've had a slight conversation before about you not being in the corporate world. But having been, you know, on my side, being in the corporate world for a very long time, we see the outputs of the education system coming into the corporate world. And I think it creates a couple of challenges for me, both in mindset and approach to what education is and how education works so it's almost sets that frame for what people expect but also there's huge gaps in in what you'd like people to know or be able to do or how they approach things so I think it's really interesting to tap into you know what you see and what you're doing in that
1: space. Yeah and I think you know gone are the days where employers would hire people based on their Encyclopedic knowledge. I mean, that that's just not a requirement anymore, especially with the immediacy of being able to access almost any information at all. It's, it's the application of that knowledge, isn't it? It's and it's how you actually teach application, you know, in a, a different setting, because that's actually what learning is. It's you know, re- receiving information, processing it, encoding it, and then being able to apply it to a completely new situation. That's really what learning is.
0: So why are we in the situation we're in, Hannah? Why have you know why have we got to this place where in corporate world you know we're we're just blasting people with content that may or may not be relevant we think that's learning or people are turning up to days worth of you know whether it's a workshop or a seminar where again they're blasted with content or ideas that may or may not be relevant to their context at the moment the problems they're facing their job but someone has decided that maybe we need to do this you know where's Mm -hmm. that problem come from
1: Well, it comes from schools and it comes from tradition and it comes from an education system that was set up in in an industrial era where it was based on compliance and obedience and, you know, just... Doing what you're told to, then you know, continue to do what you're told in one job for the rest of your life. That that's where I think it originates from, and and the thing is that that worked for a very very long time, and and it still looks like it's working in many different settings, but really it doesn't. It's 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 tokenistic. It's a mirage, really, of learning. Is what I think, um, and I think that we, we were duped, I think, in all kinds of settings into thinking that if it looks like learning, if it looks like teaching and training, then it is. And, and quite frankly, a lot of it just isn't. And um, what's
0: happening in schools to change that? Because that's, you know, you're working in the education sector to look at how those things change. So what is changing or what is different from that original approach?
1: Well, I do think that education is a slow moving beast. I, I, I always say that, and I think that, you know, the whole system isn't going to move at the same step that's for absolute certainty and um, because there's lots of different schools that are operating in different contexts based on financial implications and um, geographical constraints all, all kinds of things um, but I do think that um, what's changing in education is that some innovative schools who are at the forefront of change are looking at developing skills but not in a silo, separate from you know academic subjects, but in combination, that's that's the sweet spot really. Is how do you combine a traditional academic system, which is exam driven and which is necessary for children to then move to the next step, and then how do you combine that with something more innovative, like you know as I mentioned before, the four C's. Um, but that's really difficult because of the way the school system is set up and the way the school year is set up. So innovative schools are now offering things like summer schools um, and online programs as well. I work in a school that that does exactly this. Um, and there are more and more schools that are, are coming on board with this kind of model. And as schools move, particularly independent schools, um, you know, they're, they're facing some really dire financial um, futures, really, um, based on their charitable status they're gonna to have to become more competitive in this market. And in order to be competitive, you have to have something else. So if you get you know, three A's at A level, that's great, but what else have you got? And how do you get that stuff? Well, you get it at school. If you've got a school that can provide these opportunities, whether that's a state funded school or an independent school, then you've got an edge. And really that's what I think a lot of employers are looking for, it's that edge. And really academic qualifications alone just don't give you that
0: no they don't and you know you see people come into the workplace and their skill set is missing as you said some of the the four c's or some of those things that are really required for people to survive and thrive in the workplace and and move on and, and positively contribute but if we roll back and say okay so originally industrial revolution learning put in for control compliance Again, exactly the same, right the way through from school into industry, and we're now at the place of saying, let's rewrite exactly what we've got. And I know there's constraints in schools of terms and everything like that, and there's constraints in business of people have to do their job and all those other things. But if you could rewrite this, what would it look like? What would be different?
1: Well, well, that's a, that's a, well, you need a, a blank check for that, I think, to start with. Um, but I think it's a cultural shift. Um, I think right now, well, and for a long time, there's been a, a reliance on the sage on the stage approach to education. And and I think where that comes from is, you know, when you go and you start teaching or you start training, you often emulate someone or your experience. So. That, that's a problem because then you, you're going to always get what you've always done and what you've always seen. So I think a lot of it's going to start with the uh, teacher training colleges and um, trying to move um, uh, teachers into a different kind of space where they're more agile and innovative. The problem right now is that we've got a lot of teachers being trained um, with, you know on, almost on the job. So they're being trained in a subject and in teaching at the same time. Now, that's that can be really effective if you're trying to get, you know, in terms of speed to market, trying to get those teachers qualified very quickly. I think that's probably a political, uh, politically motivated decision. But I think it does stem from the attitude and the approach and the culture in schools. So it's not schools as a delivery system of education, like in training. If you're delivering something, then you've already lost because education is not content dumping, training is not that. Um, delivering anything means that it's like your postman delivers you the post that's it one and done he doesn't come back to ask you anything does he you know de- education is not delivery and I think if we can get out that mindset we can start to move on but I think this is uh, generations to come I really do I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon
0: So you know you echo a lot of the things that I see in in business you know again we talk about the sage on the stage you know that content dumping. You know, pulling people into events because it's easier to manage, it's more about the the delivery person than the receiver of that, whatever experience that might be. So if we dial back to what how people do actually learn, what are the elements that we should be weaving into our learning and training experiences or whatever we're in charge of delivery, whichever environment we might be in.
1: Right. Well, uh, for me, it all comes down to uh, to one thing, really. And, and and I have to say, anybody who's in learning and development or education should go and buy Nick Shackleton Jones's book. It's, I've got no affiliation to him at all. Um, he's got this brilliant book. Um, it's just about how people learn. And he talks about um, the uh, effective context model, um, which is just a brilliant idea, which is just about how people learn when they care and people learn when they feel something. And usually that comes from storytelling. Um, and I, I write a lot about storytelling because actually that's that's how you have a human connection. That's how you have an emotional connection. Now, I appreciate if you're trying to um, you know train somebody in health and safety, having an emotional connection is maybe a harder ask. And yet, I remember when I my first job was at Woolworths. If you remember that shop from all that time ago. Um, it was, what was it? Oh, 2002. And I, I became an assistant manager, a graduate assistant manager, and we were doing this health and safety training. And, you know, it, I was given lots of little books to memorize. Now, I know that blocking a fire exit is a bad idea, right? And I know that can lead to, you know, trauma and, and accident. And yet they, the trainer told a story about a fire. I think it happened in the late 1970s in Woolworths. It was tra- a tragedy. Ten people died. And and I remember that story. Now I know, I understand what they were trying to tell us to do and be careful and be, you know, focus on health and safety. But it was the story that I remember all these years ago. Uh, and and so I think storytelling and allowing people to make meaning of stories is actually how people learn.
0: Having started my career in retail and probably told that same story to people in induction <laughs> as well. Uh, I, I can certainly resonate with that and, you know, apologies to all the listeners, but we keep returning to health and safety is a really good microcosm of some of the challenges around learning because we we do actually, as a team, we actually talk about this quite a lot, is that health and safety training is, is not about putting people through, you know, a 20, 30 minute course. Most people know most of the stuff. It's about giving them a reason or a purpose, we call it. But as you said, a reason to care. So why are people going to take these things importantly? Why do things matter? Because it's complacency and things like health and safety that cause the issues. It's not about knowing whether fire is caused by X, Y, and Z. It's about common sense and taking care and looking out beyond your own role and having systems and processes and everything else that allow people to do that. Whereas so often we go, okay, it's fine, we'll just put someone through a 20 minute, 30 minute e-learning course where they just spend their whole time trying to click through some annoying animations or interactions that someone's created to get to the end. Mm -hmm. And the purpose becomes to get to the end rather than to walk away and say, all you probably need to know is actually this stuff is really important why it's really important and some of those key actions you need to take on a daily basis of things you shouldn't shouldn't do what happened you know there's very little actually people in most environments again in some very risky environments there's lots of other things people do need to do but i think we through the mechanism of delivery we lose all the messaging we lose anything of value for people and just becomes a chore and a burden
1: yeah, I think you're right. And I think when people learn by doing, and, and that doesn't mean like, as you say, clicking through 20 slides and then doing a quick multiple choice question, because that, that, that might commit that to your short term memory. But in order for it to get into your long term memory and for learning to actually take place, you've got to do something with that knowledge, whether that's, you know, if you're studying A-level biology or you're studying, you know, health and safety protocols. And sometimes I think with some, you know, like immersive scenario based learning that can be really effective, especially if in this almost like gamification training you fail and you know someone dies as a result in the simulation. You're not going to forget that. And and I'm not saying that you should people should learn through fear. I'm not I'm not saying that at all because I'm you know I'm harking back now to my GCSE maths class. I mean I learned through fear. I got an A, but I couldn't tell you anything now. And I don't think you know when people learn through fear or anxiety as really A lot of school systems are set up, you know, they're almost like anxiety driven systems. You know, it's all in this one shot test. And if you don't do that, then what are you going to do with the rest of your life? That kind of thing. I don't think that's a very healthy way to learn at all. Um, So I think it is about human connections and about establishing emotional reactions really uh, from people. Um, If you think about I was watching The Repair Shop this week on BBC um, BBC One. Now, I don't really, I'm not really that interested in, you know, the mechanics of, you know, how you fix a clock. What I'm, what I remember from those TV shows are, I'm captivated by the stories of these people, and then it makes me think about, you know, my family, and 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 it's that people have to find a commonality in the in whatever you're training them in, otherwise it just doesn't land, I don't think. And it's all very well saying I've delivered training, I've delivered content, that box is ticked. Well, companies could be wasting a huge amount of money because actually it's just taken place and that's it. W- nothing else has happened. No, there's no learning mastery. And learning mastery happens when it is an ongoing process. You know, It has to be revisited uh, multiple times in different contexts
0: yeah and I, th- I think in a, in a workplace you've got you know a series of challenges that are probably echoed in education to a similar degree but you know attendance has always been one of the challenges you faced is people not turning up you know if you're delivering a classroom based model you find that you know you're operating sometimes 50 percent you know well, I know in my career and lots of other trainers, you've turned up and you're two people out of 12 will turn up to your learning and you're like, what do we do now? And they probably get the best learning they've ever had because it's highly personalized and not following the script you were meant to be following. But, you know, you you look at it and and say a lot of that is because people aren't seeing the relevance or the need for that learning at that particular time. So you've got different things you're trying to get people to do. And, you know, I know, again, looking at what's talked about in the industry, but removing the need to learn in lots of cases you don't need to learn and remember and and be able to recite lots of stuff you don't you need to be able to apply particular things or know where to find the answers when you need something so sometimes it's stepping back from that i need to tell a manager every hr process in the ins and outs of that they don't need to know that they just need to know the general things they should and shouldn't be doing and where to go for help and support or further information as and when they need it, plus the skills to do all of those things that sit within those processes, whether it's how to be able to have a good conversation, how to be able to interview someone, how to be able to capture and take notes, those things sit across all sorts of things, they're transferable skills, yet we spend so long still trying to push those knowledge of those processes or the policies into people's heads to a level of degree that's just not needed Uh, so I think you have have one level of challenge at that end and then you just get okay something's happened so back to your health and safety example something's happened in the industry or in the business so we're now going to put everyone in the organization through some sheet dip training because (laughs) We think our leadership culture needs to be better, or there is currently something happened in the news and we think that we need to jump on that bandwagon and and train everyone in this now, because this is clearly an issue for us. And that relevance to people has not been sold, has not been created. And therefore people, are. I don't, what's the point of this? Where's the value to me? Why am I learning this? And that takes me back to my school days of looking at stuff going, this isn't for me, can't see the relevance. Don't feel yeah. <laughs> I'm interested, and and you almost get that 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 same reaction from people because you take them back to their school days. That's what people associate it with.
1: Yeah, and especially if, imagine in the other in the other contexts. If you say, well, you know, you're going to have to learn all this stuff, but there's no test at the end, then that can have a, a similar demotivating effect. Or you know, because people then think, well, what's the point now? And and I think it's that that idea of. You know, when we're designing learning, I understand that learning has to be, you know, to meet the needs of the business and has to align with the overall overarching business goals. But really, if we adopt a design thinking approach, which I think is is the, the answer really to everything, um, is when you begin with empathy and you actually think, well, how are these people going to learn this? Not what are they going to learn? How are they going to learn? You know, a lot of people that come from school and go through university have specific learning uh, barriers that um, that make some of these trainings really quite difficult to, to process. You know, that might be, you know, uh, a poor processing speed. It might be dyslexia. It might be dyscalculia. It could be anything. And it's almost like when the people arrive in the workplace, we completely forget about this. So when we're presenting information, we're presenting it, you know, according to if we're the trainer, you know, our preferred style. And I, I'm not going to go down the learning styles route because I know that is a myth that has been debunked and I'm not a proponent of that at all. But what I mean is that we can't just assume that because we learned in a particular way that everyone else is going to just pick up pick it up too. Um, because, again, if you don't place your students or your um, employees or colleagues at the heart of what you're doing and you place yourself at the heart, you've lost, you know, it's not about you, it's about them. And I think that's what's missing in a lot of education settings and training settings.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, you touched right at the beginning of you starting your career in retail. I started my career in retail and went into learning in retail and then sort of stuck in learning in HR and change and various areas. But to me, I'm still stuck in that world of retail where the customer comes first. And this Mm -hmm. is around trying to make sure the customer gets what they need and there's a join between the two and sometimes Mm -hmm. i think we completely miss that element in learning because it becomes almost like you know that person coming in and putting the stock out and going it's easy for me (laughs) to put it by the door here i'm going to keep all the heavy stuff here because i have to walk less far and you know I'm going to do this because it's more around my life whereas if, if you're in that environment you start in that environment where everything is about thinking about the customer and thinking about the journey of the, that customer rather than the you know the handful of staff who happen to work in that store and that's always the ratio to me is that I've, I've said to teams I've managed if I you know if there's a team of five ten fifty doesn't matter how big it is but if your life gets more difficult but our output and our delivery to our customers is enhanced, that's the right balance. Whereas lots of the things are the other way around. They're driven by the system or the infrastructure rather than the outcome and the customer. And I think that's where we go wrong a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, I I think you're right. This this week on LinkedIn, I was writing about marketing and how I'd noticed really over my lifetime that the the most successful, what I perceive to be successful people um, and most effective in their careers are inherent marketers. They've understood that everything is marketing. It doesn't matter what job you're in, you know, if I'm standing in front of 30 teenagers, you know, I'm, I'm marketing to them. I'm trying to sell them the importance and the value of what I'm doing. Um, and teenagers can, be, teenagers can be a really hostile audience. So, you know, I, I would argue that there's a really hard shift to be a marketer in a classroom. Um, but really, if we, if we understand that we're, we're trying to convince, we're trying to persuade people and we do that through storytelling. And I'm not saying that's like a once upon a time kind of storytelling. But, you know, there's some brilliant storytellers. If you look at TED Talks and you think about the ebb and flow of the, the way they speak, you know, varying their tone, you know, verbal, non, nonverbal communication styles, all of these things are designed with your audience in mind rather than you in mind as the, the celebrity on the stage. And once your audience realise that they're the hero in the piece, and they're going to be the ones that are going to drive change, or you know, you know, increase sales in your business, or or get an A in this exam that you're trying to train them, to, uh, teach them to to pass. Then then they realise, wow, I've, I've got a connection here, and I'm the hero in this story. And everyone wants to be the hero in the story. Doesn't matter who you are, but as the trainer and the teacher, you're the guide. You're the supporting character, you know, in in the in the story. Um, and I think once you've realised that, then you can change and shift your mindset towards education and training
0: no absolutely and i've I've, over transitions i've led with training teams i've talked about that transition we've seen in the role itself so originally it was about that knowledge expert standing there the sage on the stage standing and transmitting my element my knowledge and my everything i know to the room and people therefore look at you and expect you to have all the answers you have to firstly break that then you go okay there i'm to facilitate a room so i'm there to to bring the best out of everyone whether that's on an individual coaching conversation whether that's managing a classroom you know a a workshop in an organization and then to me it's the next step on is about how do you facilitate an organization how do you do stuff that people aren't necessarily in the room with you but you're creating that ability for connection that mindset where people can Ask the questions, because as much as we think it might be quite straightforward, creating the relevance and through things like marketing of saying this is why this is important to you. I've got to paint the picture for you because it might be quite obvious in my head why you need to learn this skill. But other people are in their own little bubble and they're going, actually, I'm really good at this job but you you're there with the organizational perspective of go, there's a bit of tech coming along that in 12 months time means your job is not going to be there anymore as it currently is because 70% of that is gonna be done in a different way. Mm-hmm. So how do you get someone ready? And you know a lot of that is our, our space in learning is about getting people to understand why these things are relevant and then create the ease and the inherent skills and abilities for people to go, how do I get myself? from here to here and creating those pathways. And that's really our job as I see it now, is move from that stage on the stage to that facilitator of organisations and that ability to create connections to create purpose for people.
1: Yeah, but I think that only can happen in, you know, there's a lot written right now about psychological safety. A lot of people don't want to be exposed as not being, or being obsolete in the scenario you've just described there. You know, this new techs coming and If you don't get to grips with it, you are going to become obsolete as the tech takes over you you know so i think that in order to you know get people on board you have to you have to show humanity to them and i think then they have to then realize that actually this is a safe space they can ask questions and they can take risks um and and show that they are you know they are human themselves because that, that's what this is all about it's about human connection and without that no learning is going to take place only fear is going to take place and that's going to then impact you know retention levels in some companies where people just are out the door because they feel they're being um, sidetracked or they feel like they're not good enough and really all of that can be avoided with a bit more humanity and empathy in training I think.
0: Absolutely and we've seen a perfect microcosm in the last two years of the world shifting under people you know particularly you know we've seen people's roles change skills change and people be forced to move and work in different ways whether it's you know remote teaching whether it's parents suddenly learning how difficult it is actually to teach their own kids at home or whatever everyone's had to operate in a different space and you'll see it you know managers suddenly they had a way of operating and now they're managing dispersed teams and lots of those things they relied on have moved and having that humanity to help people through that and not just say this has moved tough get on with it but actually engage in that conversation talk about how it's so difficult and one of the things that has sort of come out is people have become more human in the last few two years because we've had got windows into everyone's world you know people have had people have had to open up that they're not this perfect person who turns up in the office or the school from (laughs) nine to five the chaos of life has has bled into everything but you know it's the lessons we can take from that as well to help people with change and transition and it not to be based on fear but to be based on openness and saying look I'm not saying you're you know you're going in in 18 months because i'm trying to scare you what i'm trying to do is speak to you early about the fact that the world's moving how do we tap into what you're great at how do we help you to transition but similarly you can't put your head in the sand and the organization can't put its head in the sand because that's what would often happen in the past is everything would be done In silence in the background and then suddenly a restructure is announced and yeah, then it becomes very attritional and very friction based rather than actually being more collaborative.
1: And I wonder actually if, you know, a lot of people were worried about over communicating during the pandemic when people are working from home and people are still working from home and you almost over communicate with your background. You can see obviously in my background here, I'm sitting in a shed, um, but <laughs> but this is my garden office so I can actually have some peace for my children, my spaniel that's featured in a lot of my uh, work output, actually. Um, so I think we over communicate during these, these quite strange times and I don't think that's a bad thing. Because when you over when you communicate you know effectively, you're, you're saying that I, I value you and you're important to this organization and and the reason you're important is because I'm connecting with you and I, and I want to keep connecting with you. I think when people feel like they're being frozen out, that 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 can be really disconcerting especially if you know in their home context you know their home lives they they live on their own for example or they're living you know with additional quite complex responsibilities at home you know I think empathy again it always comes back to empathy you've got to think well you know my life might be great but the person who I'm speaking to might be struggling and I instead of just saying how are you doing and not actually meaning it actually wait for that response and 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 really ask them because people like to be listened to people like to feel valued everybody likes that and i think you know when leaders do that and then they boost them up with training to keep them you know going in their jobs especially during these quite troubling times that's a sign of good leadership and, and good training i think
0: absolutely i think it is about that communication that openness and, and people keep, keeping people going and you know you've touched on the difficult circumstances and i think this has really created the fact that personalization and adaptability is not just on a few key attributes. It's actually everyone is facing different challenges, whether you know someone's stuck in a in a shared house or having, as you said, caring responsibilities. And we've seen that highlighted in homeschooling. We've seen it highlighted in homeworking. And I think it's how we learn those lessons going forward. And I think there's lessons for for everyone to understand about, about that. And you know as ed- education i think it's always been clearer that people have different circumstances because you know that people are coming in with this dif- but we learn to hide those things
1: mm-hmm. by the
0: time we get to work you're then expected to have always turned up and you know there's always been that keep work at the door and, you know, that that is it, it but, it, you know, you, you keep your personal at the door, you keep your work at the door and sometimes those blend. But we've seen more and more with tech work ble- bleeding in lots of roles into people's personal lives. Now we've seen it the other way around in the last couple of years. So it's what happens going forward in terms of, again, that humanization, that approach to things that everything is more holistic. It is going to be really interesting to see where we end up because, you know, we've seen in the past lots of these things sort of pendulum back as well that you go from one extreme to the other and then we'll suddenly get back, come to the office five days away. You know, it could go that way, certainly in some industries.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. When I, um, for a quite a long time, in, in my my work, that um, I was the only person there that had any children. So when I arrived at work, nobody nobody was talking about children. Whereas in my other life at home and my friends, everyone's got children. So it's that is my life. And so I quite enjoyed sometimes going into work and just being Hannah and not being someone's mum, uh, you know, as my identity. But then when the pandemic hit, and then I was at home with my 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 children. And having to, you know, to, I mean, I, I'm a teacher, I'm an experienced teacher, but I'm a terrible teacher of my own children. Our hands up, a terrible teacher. It's a lot of raised voices, you know, just saying it louder. Um, I, I just can't teach uh, young, young children. Um, anyway, um, and I found that then my colleagues were actually, they showed me humanity and were very understanding towards me when, you know, I couldn't quite be the person I was at work it was just Hannah at work and just you know teacher and just on it all the time when I was at home I couldn't be like that but everybody else was you know from what I could see getting on with it whereas I I was facing quite a different context and again when you're shown that humanity you just feel like you're part of a team and you feel valued even if it's just understand that you can't attend a certain meeting because you know you're trying to teach a kid quadratic equations badly you know.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely the challenges people have faced and the things people have been expected to do. I just want to switch on to something slightly different. So okay. one of the things we talked about earlier on was, you know, education is built in this traditional way and it's evolving and changing workers. Again, learning at work started in this traditional way, but there is always a join and a, a connection where people come out of education into work. And you get things like apprenticeships, which, you know, in some way bridge that divide and whatever else. But I've always found that someone sat in the business, understanding what people are coming out with, unless you've got a connection into education through your own kids at that age who are doing A-levels or GCSEs or at university is actually really hard. So how do we build better connections between education and industry to get that sort of lifelong learning to feel like it's more collaborative and cohesive?
1: Yeah I mean that's that's a great question and, and it's something that is so important. I'm working with an organisation right now who are going into schools, it's a business going into schools to bridge that gap because the problem schools and I think universities also face is one of time and one of tradition as well. Um, but this organization I'm working with now go into schools to teach um kids um entrepreneurial skills they teach them communication how to um you know build up their resilience and so they teach them life skills um and so they bridge the gap that schools just aren't or can't or won't bridge themselves so i think there's a marrying up of uh industry and schools and universities i don't think anyone can do it on their own and i think it's about relationship building again um and a lot of these organisations that are going into schools to do this are doing it on a non-profit basis, which I think is is is, is brilliant. Um, but yeah, I think apprenticeships. I think there there is still a, a, a culture in some you know quite high achieving schools that apprenticeships is is just not what you go into. It's university or or, or nothing. And and I think university is not the right choice for all all students when they finish school um, for for many reasons. Um, and I think that I think, again, it's a mindset shift to help people understand that, actually, if you take on an apprenticeship and a lot of um, companies are doing this now. So doing like a university mixed with an apprenticeship. Um, I know some students I've worked with, have gone into some accounting firms where they're doing apprenticeships and um, and university uh, qualifications. And I think that could be a route, too. But it's again, it's about that moving away from this one accepted version of what success looks like in education and, and work and that takes that takes a while to do but i think the generation coming up now i've got teenagers and you know they've got a very different idea of of what success looks like to them they use different words as well to describe that and i think unless we as you know educators and trainers really try to understand where they're coming from and try to see the world that they are aspiring to we're going to have that that chasm really between us and them and i don't think that's a good idea at all
0: No, absolutely. I think trying to really understand what's important to people and pave that way that there isn't one set path. Because, again, Mm -hmm. when I go back, look back to when I was growing up, it was sort of expected to go to university if you were at that level. And I I'd had enough of education. I, you know, I, I got more out of. I you know my degree was fine I did a degree but I got far more out of working part-time and and being in 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 an environment where I could contribute you know and and (laughs) you know I think that the mixed apprentice route would have been perfect for someone like me but again it's so personalized to what is you know applicable to different people and there's no single route to success but it's again sometimes down to metrics isn't it how is the success of a school judged? How is that, you know, is is it judged on success and happiness and life skills or is it judged on exam results, which university you went to? You know, again, it's it's, it's looking back to all of those things to what drives those behaviours and what can we do to create a more cohesive system.
1: And then I guess what would be really good to measure as well is if you say if you're a school and you send off, you know, 80% of your students to university, how many of them go back in their second year? What's the dropout rate there? Were they just going to placate their parents or their school or just societal expectations? We don't measure that and we should.
0: No. <laughs> exactly. And I think that sometimes the metrics are driven to to get us to a certain point, but then they actually drive the bad behaviour, not necessarily bad behaviour, but they, they they have repercussions that we don't think about just as you've outlined. So, yes, someone gets in there. But, yeah, I've done it. I've got a way. I've now got a bit of freedom of thought and speech and I can decide what I want to do whereas maybe that wasn't the right time for them. So looking forward for you, Hannah, what's next for you? What are you working on? What, What are you trying to achieve?
1: Right, so um, I've got lots of plates spinning at the moment, but um, what I'm trying to do right now is I'm building out a uh, a course, a teacher training course on Teachable, which is a new platform for me. Um, I've used Udemy before, but this time I'm going for Teachable and it's basically uh, just a, a generic kind of um, lots of different innovative teaching and learning ideas based on the science of learning. Um, and really, if a teacher wants a reset in the way they approach their, their classroom management, and their teaching, um, it, that's for them. And I also do then in-person training. So instead of just going in and just doing a one and done delivery training, which I've just talked for the last half an hour about how bad that is, um, I then back that up with digital content. So it's a a continual process. So that's what I'm working on now and with some uh, other companies I'm working on getting there. Their skills-based curriculum into schools, so that as ever, you know, we talked about today, can bridge that gap between the skills that are quite, you know, really missing um, in uh, university and and work when they come from school.
0: And I know that you're sharing lots of stuff and thoughts, and you know, you, you've got lots of ideas and views on things. So if someone wants to connect with you or follow or you know, be engaged with your thoughts on what happens next, what's the best way of them doing that?
1: Um, Well, I'm I'm quite active on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn, just Hannah Young. um, And I've got a website, hexus 21com and you can find all my links to all my socials there.
0: Fabulous. Hannah, it's been great to catch up today, and we'll make sure all of those links are in the show notes below the podcast. But thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Great. Thanks, James. Thank you for listening to this episode
0: of the Learning Reinvented podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you've not already done so, please follow our podcast. And if the learning effect can help you and your organisation, please do get in touch. You can find both James and Katie on LinkedIn and our contact details are in the show notes below.